Hello, this is Ellis Prince, the pastor of the Gallery Church of Baltimore. I want to thank you for joining our podcast today. I hope this teaching inspires you and gives you courage to pursue Jesus Christ. I hope that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. If we can help you in any way, please feel free to reach out. Now let's get back to the podcast. Today, we are in John chapter 11. Um, Not the whole chapter, but almost. Um, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not, will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews were tried there, tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, Martha said, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he had been there for four days. Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. 
When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them, named Cephas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up, You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. May God bless the reading of this word. Because I know that we're reading passages of scripture a little bit longer than we normally would if you've been a part of our church for a while, but going through the gospel of John and being diligent to read these stories to as much of completion as we can and digesting blocks of scripture are going to help us understand John's intent. John wrote this as a letter because he thought that the people were going to be reading it at one time. He had no, I don't, I believe when he wrote this, then he had no idea that it was going to be chopped up and micro studied and all of that. And because of the fact that this has been preserved for us, there's so much we can draw out of it, but there is a healthy practice in this for us to try to consume as much of this in one sitting as possible. Now, the point of the chapter is not this, but the point of our distraction is how many of us feel like Jesus is four days late? How many of you have gone through a moment in your life where you feel like Jesus was late? Some of you right now are in a season where you're like, you know what, I'm on day two. Jesus should have showed up yesterday. Some of you are, are on day seven or year eight or year 15, and you're just like, why didn't Jesus show up when he should have showed up? But I, can I tell you guys this? That's not the point of this chapter. The point of this chapter isn't the things that are distracting us. The point of this chapter is John trying to help us understand who Jesus is. And if we're not careful, we'll let our story suffocate our ability to understand. But can I tell you guys this? Jesus understood because when he knows what we're going through, he weeps. It's not that he thinks, oh my goodness, I can't believe they don't get it. He joins in. And can I tell you, some of the people in our lives are the people that go tattle on Jesus too, right? There's, this, there's so many characters in this particular reading that we could take time to focus on. But the vantage points all could teach us different things. Because if you understand what Jesus was doing, he had 12 little ducklings that were following along him everywhere he went because he was investing in these disciples because ultimately he wanted them to be ready to lead the church in his absence. So we're getting ready in the next few weeks to look at some of the chapters in John where John specifically gives conversation that Jesus is having just with his small core group to make sure that they have the understanding necessary to get them through what they were about to experience. And so if we wanted to, we could look at John 11 solely from the vantage point of the disciples. But we also can step into this story and look at it from the vantage point of two sisters that lost a brother. And we don't call them two sisters. We know their names. They're Mary and they're Martha. And just in case you're confused about which Mary, John tells you very specifically which one it is. Because he doesn't want us to get confused by the fact that Mary was a very common name and we're going to highly... We're going to be very specific. You are going to know which Mary Jesus in this passage loved dearly. And so we could look at that. We could also look at this from the vantage point of Lazarus. We could literally look at Lazarus's life and be like, dude, why did you pick me to die twice? 
I mean, I don't believe he's still walking around on earth right now. If he did, wouldn't that be cool? Like, well, I got to resurrection. It sounds like something that would be in a Netflix movie um, or some movie with Tom Hanks in it. But um, So you have these, these people that are specifically named, but you also understand this house is full of friends. Like, this was a family that was loved. When they were grieving, their entire community was showing up. There's so much in this story that's about the people that are unnamed and how they're viewing and looking and responding to this particular text. But you and I can also look at this in the time period wherever John was writing this down years later, saying there's an audience that I want to understand something very specific. So through the leading of the Spirit, John included this story because it aided in John's purpose, which I believe was to let the world know through his influence, whatever that would turn out. John had no idea when he wrote this that in 2023, we were going to be quoting him to a group of diverse people from all over the world. I don't believe that John fully grasped the impact of what he was writing. But I do believe this. I do believe that John wants us to understand that Jesus represents the rescuing love of God. John's purpose in including this chapter in this gospel was so that you and I would know that God wants to welcome us into a family of his that is beyond our wildest imagination. And Jesus is the perfect display of what love and what God looks like in the world. So we can't jump into John 11 and be distracted by the fact that Jesus was four days late. It just aids in our understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And so with that, let me say this. I believe that one of our limitations in understanding is because in our humanity, there are some false things or some worldly ways that drive our thinking and our understanding. And one of them is, is that in our humanity, when Jesus isn't, as Carrie Underwood would say, taking the wheel, and we've released the wheel to ourselves or to some other voice's control of our life, the danger is, is that we spend our life running from our pain. And because in our humanity, we run from our pain, we start ourselves on a cycle of decision-making many times that only increases our pain. And I believe this chapter has something to say about that. I also believe that if you're not running from your pain, others of you are stuck on another human condition that says, I am seeking to feel alive. So you jump out of planes. You jump out of an airplane. Like, it's like you are only looking for things that make you feel alive. So some of you, it's relationships. You go from one relationship to another relationship to another relationship thinking, this is going to make me feel alive. Or you go from one career to another career, this is going to make me feel alive. You go from one neighborhood to another neighborhood or one state to another state. You travel the globe. If I just take one more trip, I'm going to feel alive. If I just did one more thing, I'm going to feel alive. If just one more person would like my Instagram, that I'm going to feel alive. If I could just get, like, my life is about feeling alive. And so much about what we're doing is either running from our pain that generally makes us the worst version of ourselves, or we're running towards feeling alive and then we're left disappointed. Or in feeling alive, we make mistake after mistake after mistake that increases our pain and increases our pain. And we're finding ourselves in that. Have you ever done something and like a day later wish you hadn't done it? All right, that's, this is for you too. So behind the scenes in John chapter 11, we are finding a moment where I believe we can glimpse the fact that Jesus sees reality different than we see reality. I think if we can come to an understanding that when Jesus looks at life, looks at situations, he sees it differently than we do, 
then I think we can begin to step into a chapter like this and take a deep breath and realize, okay, he sees it differently and that's okay. Because he's seeing it differently doesn't make it untrue. It's true and it might be hard for us, but Jesus many times sees things differently and his views are many times significantly different than ours. And I think one of the problems is, is that we view life as linear. We, because of the way our days are set up, but that ways our calendars are set up, we literally think that everything in life is taking one step towards an end. And if an end is in sight, then there's something after that end. And we're not understanding what I believe Jesus is trying to communicate here. I think, was it in John chapter 9, I said that most of us think that the world is just chocolate or vanilla. There's not very many other options. I believe John chapter 11 is another Baskin-Robbins ice cream experience. Or be more licks to make it worse. It's like there's so many choices. There's so many perspectives. There's so many vantage points. But the only way to get through all of those vantage points is for us to allow Jesus' eyes to be our fixed perspective. And if we're not careful, we will be so distracted in this world that we're increasing the pain in our life because we haven't adopted his eyes. And if we trust our eyes better than his eyes, we're going to continue to see an increase in the amount of pain that is happening in our life. So when we think about life and death or time and eternity, we generally think about it linearly. It's more like they're separate entities and not a part of the same thing. We experience things so much more complex, but yet we don't understand the complexity of it because we always want it to be simple. We always want it to be easily broken down into a simple equation of one plus one equals two. When in actuality, the majority of uh, the things we can see and the things we can't see and the way time and space interact are far more complex than we give them credit for. And we think, so we give ourselves more credit, we think we have the ability to understand. But if we can find out anything from the Old Testament, if we can find anything from any of the New Testament writers, one of the things they constantly remind us of is that God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And there's other ways of saying this, like, hey, you know what? Jesus flat out, or excuse me, God flat out, maybe through Christ, told Habakkuk, you won't understand. Even if I tell you, you won't understand. But somehow we, in our humanity, think we're better than them. They couldn't understand because they lived in the Bronze Era. We now live in this technologically advanced era, and we're on the verge of AI. So if any generation can understand God, it's this one. Can I just tell you guys, I don't care what we advance, we're never going to fully understand God's perspective until the day we're fully with Jesus Christ. So until then, we are going to live a lot of our life thinking we know, but we need to have the posture of saying, God, I see this, but I want to trust you. Because John is writing this letter for the same reason that Jesus said to Martha, do you believe? This passage is about belief. I don't want us to get distracted by the fact that in Jesus proving it's about belief that Jesus was four days late to raise Lazarus from the dead. We live in a, rela a reality where hope and despair intersect. We live in a reality where hate and love intersect. Have you ever had a moment where you were like, oh man, I love this person, and then something takes over in you and you immediately turn to somebody else, but I hate them. Like how can we in the same day, in the same sequence of our days, express total love towards somebody, but experience and feel total hate towards somebody else, but I'm the same person in the same life. It's not that I live a life of love and then I stop and then I pick up a life of hate. They're interconnected. Because even some of the most hateful people that have been on the news for the violence they, they've imposed on other people have people in their life that feel like they love them genuinely. Did you guys catch that? I can't tell if I put you to sleep with that statement or not. Because you can think, I mean, there were probably in people's lives, people like Hitler and other people that have done known atrocities across the globe that felt loved by that individual. So how can we live in love and live in hate at the same time if life and death are separated? 
There's an interconnectivity to the way that things are that's much bigger than you and I could ever think or imagine. Our joys and our sorrows are interconnected. I mean, it's like you could literally be on the highway of joy and something happened in your life. And wait a minute, how did I end up in the lane of sorrow? And you're fractions of a millisecond apart. I had people ask me all the time, well, how has church planting in Baltimore been for you? Well, one moment I found myself standing on top of the desk going, yeah, God did something. And next minute I'm under my desk going, oh, God. You know, it's like that's, that's my day. You want to know what my day in the office is like? I hope you come when I'm on my desk rather than under my desk. But that's a day. How many of you can relate to that being your day? Where you have joys and sorrows that seem to be seemingly interconnected. And so with that interconnection, I think you and I need to be open to Jesus' perspective. Because he sees time and eternity not as two separate things, but as something that coexists. What Jesus is actually going to help us with here, and what I believe help people that are continuing to read John chapter 11, is that, time, that the way that we view time is incredibly wrong. There's this idea that, sorry, I just hit my notes wrong. For some reason, it didn't transfer the way that I wanted, so I was getting ready to go back over the same thing, so forgive me. John 11, verse 1. Let me read this. Let me get back on track. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick, He's not dead. He's sick. Man with Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, very specific location. The village of Mary and her sister Martha, very specific people. And if you are confused, this is Mary whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, who was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Next week, our story, John 12. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. The person that was sick was Loved by whom? Jesus. He says, and when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and, his, and, her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he immediately got on a donkey and, and rushed over, right? No, he didn't. He actually stayed two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now to the disciples, Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. And yet you're going back? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daylight will not stumble, for they see by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Does that not answer the question? Why are we going to go back and get stoned? After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go and wake him up. And as we've seen throughout John's gospel, the point of this story is to interweave characters by name that get to personally receive a loving touch from Jesus Christ. The point of all of these names is to show that Jesus loves specific people, not in exclusion, because John later, spoiler alert, in the last chapter of this book, of this letter that we're reading, says, if I had recorded everything Jesus said and done, all the libraries of the world could not contain them all. So if you think that Jesus didn't know and love other people, we are wrong. This is a selected story to prove that we need to believe in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, in this passage, is loving people well. And he's four days late. The whole story is intimate and specific. The details are undeniable. So if you don't think God knows the details of your troubles, guys, let me tell you, he knows the details of your troubles. He knows them by name. He knows them by location. He knows you where you are. And if it's a little bit of a humor, it's the Santa Claus stuff. He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. All right, that's your Christmas foreshadowing. But can I just tell you this? 
There's a reason why these types of thinking end up into our children's books. Because they're inspired by the truth of the fact that there is somebody that knows us by name. There is somebody that knows every intimate detail of our life and loves us anyway. And this is a passage that proves us. These are individuals and specific people that John mentions that Jesus loved. I want, you need to grasp that. Stop looking at me with a blank stare. Like, these are people being named specific. Could, how would your life be today if you were as confident as Mary and Martha and even Lazarus to know that you were loved by Jesus Christ? To be known so much so that if I was going up to talk to Jesus, I would say to them, the one you love is sick. So when you're sick, are you not loved by Jesus Christ? The one you love is sick. Going back to John chapter 9, because there's another little distracting section of John 11 that was in John chapter 9, and it is a hang-up for many of you, and it has been a hang-up for people in the church for a long period of time. But it is that phrase that, that we will receive glory from this, When it was the man born blind, the man born blind was so that now the glory of God could be displayed. And so many times people that follow Jesus and people that don't follow Jesus believe that when the Bible says this, that God malevolently, like evilly intended, made this man blind so that Jesus could heal him to prove who he was. I'm telling you, church, that is not a good illustration. That's not a good definition of Jesus saying to the disciples that that God is about ready to do something in this circumstance. Because God didn't, with an ill intent, make the man blind. God, with an ill intent, did not give Lazarus a sickness that was going to take his life. In this particular passage, what is happening is, is he's saying to the people around him that everything you and I go through, every obstacle that we face is an opportunity for God to get involved. So the blaming that we talked about in John 9 does not need to carry into a chapter we blame Jesus for being four days late. Because our faith in God isn't about assigning blame. Is it our sin? Is it their sin? Is God late? Is God not seeing? Because all of those blaming activities are wasted breath because God sees, God knows, God understands, God is, he's love, he always will be love. And if we think anything differently, something in the world has gotten a voice into our head that is an anti-voice to the love of God in our life. And this passage, if we're not careful, will make us think that God doesn't love us when we're sick or that God doesn't want us to be well. But this is one of those times when John is saying that everything about God is rooted in love. And even though it may seem like Jesus' activities don't make sense, it means that we need to dive in and read it a little bit more intently. So what do you and I do when somebody's sick that we love? We generally do everything we can to make them well. So when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed for two more days. Many times we find ourselves saying, what in the world are you doing? Church, we're going to pray this week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You are free to show up every night of the week and say, Jesus, what are you doing? You have a pass. You can show up and you can question, you can throw questions at God all you want to. He is fine with it. But it doesn't mean that what we are accusing him of or what we're seeking is, is making him unloving or things about him that are true, untrue. He is wanting us to get to know him as well as he already knows us. Jesus knew Lazarus. Jesus knew Mary and Martha. They knew him. Church, do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Do you have that type of family relationship with him that these people did? I don't believe when it comes to our choices, because listen, it's hard for some of us to understand this passage because of our own story, because there are 
literally people in our church that have had relatives die close proximity to them. Brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, children. Like some of you can relate so well to the family losing a dearly loved family member. Others of you have not tasted that yet. Others of you feel death in your life because of your choices and consequences of those choices or other people's choices and the consequences of those choices. And so the darkness and the death that you feel have to do with our human choices. And so there's two tracks of thinking here because some of you are literally hung up on the sickness and death and I asked Jesus to make somebody alive. And others of you are like, Jesus is four days late because the consequences of my life choices are still holding grip on my life. And I want to be freed from those. Jesus, why won't you free me from the consequences of the decisions that I've made? And as it relates to the consequences of sin, it goes back to the paralyzed, the crippled man that Jesus healed back in John 7, where he says, I'm going to heal you, but you need to stop your life of sin. It's the same thing with the woman at the well. I'm going to set you free, but stop the life of sin. You and I have got to get to a point where we need to understand that in order for us to feel the freedom from the death in our life, you and I have to make some choices. It's not all up to Jesus. How will you grow in your character? How will you grow in endurance? How will you grow in integrity and resilience and perseverance and love and compassion and grace if God is always bailing you out and giving you a clean slate? But this particular story isn't about the consequences of choices. It's about the choice that Jesus made to wait several days to prove a point. And so as we step back into that, let's look at John 11, verse 9. But Rabbi, they said a short while ago, the Jews were tired, were, were trying to stone you, and you want to go back? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will stumble, and if they, um, by the light, for they see by the world's light. It is when a person at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. If I was one of Jesus' disciples, I would have been like, you didn't answer my question. What does any of this have to do with the stoning of Jesus? Jesus, these people are wanting to kill you, and we're associated with you, so if they're going to want to kill you, they're going to want to kill me as well. That's kind of what happens. Have you ever felt like you and God were on different conversations? Like you were talking to him about apples and he started talking to you about oranges? You were starting to talk to him about a new career and he was starting to talk to you about something totally different that was a volunteer ministry? Or he started talking to you about reconciliation and the next thing you know, he starts talking to you about your personal decisions and your choices. But actually what Jesus is saying to these people, these disciples is that if you are moving in light, you are not moving into darkness. So this idea the disciples were so stuck in the literal world of the stoning, they didn't realize that they were running into darkness by going away from that location. And Jesus was saying, no, if you actually go into this location, you're going to be walking into light. So this is why it's so important for us as Lauren challenged us to pray like Daniel, is if we don't develop a prayer life, sometimes we won't know that walking in this direction is light and walking into this direction is walking into darkness because in our limited perspective, it feels like the opposite is true. Many of us then find ourselves in the same situation as some of the disciples just in total confusion. But no matter what is happening us, there's a God that is loving us through this. And many of us have to have stopped believing that God is love and believing that God is capable of love because of the circumstances that have hit us. So it doesn't matter what the world says, and it doesn't matter what dark times are falling on us, but it does make the truth of God's love somehow more, it doesn't make the truth of God's love somehow more untrue in us. Because Jesus God doesn't show up the way we always want him to show up. He always shows up the way we need him to show up. 
And we can trust him in that. In John 11, verse 11, it says, And after he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And then it jumps into this sleeping and waking conversation. And then Thomas speaks up, also known as Didymus. He needed an alias. He said, that was a joke. Um, He said to the rest of his disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Thank you, Thomas, for your optimism. Do you guys have those people in your life? Jesus is trying to teach them that life is worth a risk and all they can focus on is the risk. So a lot of us end up like Thomas. We don't want to go to the place that Jesus wants us to go. We don't want to go. Because if we go there, all we can see is darkness, but what Jesus is saying there's a light. It never occurred to Thomas that they were going to live with him. They on, he only thought they were, he was going to die with him. So what we find is that both life and love are risks. Some of you are like, I don't want pain in my life anymore. Can I just tell you this? You can't love without pain. If pain was removed from love, we would not have the capacity to love. Because somehow love is connected to your choices and my choices syncing up. Because I can choose to love you, but your response to me can cause me great pain. And you could choose to love me, but my responses to you can cause you great pain. So if I want pain removed from love, God has to take your free will away from you, which then in turn, he takes my free will away from me, which means we're just puppets. And so our perfection is like a perfect or near perfect diamond. It just is. No love, no emotion, no passion. But to experience love, you and I have got to be able to experience what it is like to even feel unloved. But God never intended for us to feel unloved. Go back to Genesis 1 and 2. He said it was all good, and sin is what has corrupted all of it. But in the beginning, you and I chose love. But now we can then choose to be unloving. So therefore, we can cause each other all kinds of harm. Are we moving towards the light of Jesus Christ? This is a love story, but it's a love story with sorrow in it. So there's a conversation that starts in verse 18. That Bethany was just like two miles away. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Great faith, but also telling Jesus, I don't want any of those Christian cliches. Do you understand what she's saying here? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Like so often we show up with these little statements and we think we're doing God a lot of good in it. But all we're wanting is Jesus Christ to be with us, not words to try to describe it. She was confused because why would you not show up? But yet she knew that now that he had showed up, he could still solve the problem. What a great faith represented here. And Jesus goes on to tell her in verse 23, your brother will rise again. And she even knew theology. I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. That's not what I want, is what she's telling Jesus. I want it now. And Jesus then says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? And she responds, yes. Jesus, at this moment in human history, is reshaping all of human thinking by that statement. Nobody thought like this before Jesus, and we've struggled with thinking like this since Jesus, 
Because in this moment of him saying, I am the resurrection and the life, and the one who believes in me will live, and even though they die, and whoever lives by believing me will never die, do you believe this? Jesus is radically revolutionizing the way that the world interacts with Jesus Christ, the way that the world sees life and death, the way that the world sees eternity in the present, the way that the world sees everything in this moment with Martha, Jesus is changing everything. And many of us, because we know the end of the story, are losing the fact that it's in John chapter 11 that Jesus said the earth-changing fact. And that fact is, is that his life, not because he hasn't died yet, he hasn't resurrected yet, he is fully alive with Lazarus with the power over death. Many of us think that it wasn't until Jesus died that he had power over death. But Jesus had it all along. He never didn't have it. And so Martha is experiencing the truth that it's in Jesus Christ that we can break anything that, that, that is holding over us. He has that type of power and authority and is in this passage that that reality is becoming true because they too, like us, had linear thinking. Death and maybe life. And Jesus is saying, yeah, that's true, Martha, but you understand that I actually bring it now. I bring life now. You and I in this world can have life now. We don't have to wait for eternity. Do you believe this? In verse 28, after she said this, she went back to get her sister Mary. Mary comes, teacher, the teacher is here and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. And now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, now notice how quickly she got up. Like any other nosy, busybody people, they ran after her. And Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, and she fell at his feet. Still in the midst of her grief, she knew who he was. In the midst of her pain, she knew that his, at his feet was a safe place. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also saw the weeping, he was deeply moved by the Spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. I can only imagine God crying. Like, I, I can't picture it. Like, it's beyond my ability to comprehend that the one that breathed life into the universe can cry over my circumstances, that he could shed tears over me. Some of you need to know that Jesus shed tears over you. The, the Jewish people actually had a belief that God held our tears in little tear vials. It talks about it in the Psalms. And that God would hold them and it's a treasure because they were trying to make sense of a God that loved them in a world full of pain. And they weren't saying God wasn't loving. They were saying God loves us so much he's holding on to those tears with us. And then it goes on after he wept. It says, see how he loved him? Like even before they he, Lazarus was raised to life, the testimony was, look at how much Jesus loved Lazarus. The story is filled with sadness and sorrow, grief and loss, but Jesus was in the middle of it. Why would you and I ever think that Jesus is not with us in the middle of our sorrow and grief and loss? Who has lied to us thinking that Jesus isn't with us in that? And that Jesus isn't crying with us in that, isn't sad with us in that, isn't troubled about those circumstances with us because Jesus is in the middle of our story. Give me a moment here just for a minute because how many of us wanted and, and waited for God to eliminate our pain? And many of us in this room are waiting for that. But you and I have made the right step by looking towards Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one that is going to see us through that and take our darkness and turn it into light. In verse 38, it says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. 
and it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. Then Martha, the literal, but Lord, by this time, there's a bad odor, for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, I do not tell you that, excuse me, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, now listen to this prayer. Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I'm saying this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And then he said this, Jesus called with a loud voice. It wasn't like, hey, Lazarus, come on out. Like He yelled, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, and his hands and feet are still wrapped. So did he come out like, I mean, like, could you imagine being there? Or did he come out because Jesus, like, drew him out and he's like, like, you know, like he's, like he's, like he's just, like, any way the audience, could you imagine, like, if he's just, like, like Casper the Ghost or something like that? But then, or he's coming out, like, that would be crazy. But you understand that he specifically said Lazarus because these tombs would have had other people in them, they were family tombs. And if Jesus would have just said, come out, there'd be like a bunch of people talking about me. And then could you imagine what it would have been like for Lazarus? He's in the middle of a conversation with Moses in eternity, and an angel comes up to him and taps him on the shoulder and is like, hey, excuse me, um, I've never done this before, but uh, he's calling you back. And he's like, who's calling me back? Jesus is calling you back. You mean all right, Moses, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be away from you, but we'll pick up in a minute. And then he like comes back into the physical body. Like, could you imagine the stories Lazarus would have told at the market? Because the people would have known he was dead. They were grieving his death. And then days later, he's walking around the market. Like, what would you ask him? What was it like for those four days? I mean, he could have, who knows what he would have said, what he was experiencing, but all I know is that Lazarus had the same testimony that the blind man did. I was blind, but now I see. Lazarus like, I was dead, but now I'm alive, and I'm going to have to die again. Jesus has the power to call you and I out by name. He has the power to literally say our name. And he's calling us out of whatever type of cave or bondage or garments. But Lazarus, when he came out, still had the garments of death on him. And he told, Jesus told these people, help him get out of that. Can I tell you, church, this is why the church exists. Because there's not a person in this room that doesn't have the wrappings of the pain of our life on us. We are here, as Paul told the church in Corinth, to clean out the closets, unwrap the clothes, take what you have off, put new stuff on. We exist to help unwrap the stench of death on us and put on the clothes of life that Jesus has called us into. That's why we exist. And that's why in this particular passage of Scripture, I believe Jesus was taking a story about being four days late and saying, listen, it's not about your timelines. It's all about the way in which you believe in the way that the Father has sent the Son into the world. And church, I just want to ask you, and people that are here for the first time, I mean, this might be your last time at church. It might be a time that you might want to come back. But whether it's your first and last all on the same Sunday, I just want to ask you, have you ever heard Jesus' voice? Have you ever felt like he was calling you out? Today might be the day that you're feeling him call you out. And I don't care what kind of bandages you have on you. I just want you to be willing to step towards the voice that's called you out. Trust us as a community to say we will help unwrap the pain and the suffering that's gone on in your life so that you can experience the life that Jesus has invited you into. Because he is life. And death, in as much as it exists in our timeline, is interconnected to our life that is never going to be separated from him. 
and death in life and death in life, however we might experience in this world, it is not linear. We can experience it all in a moment, but what brings life is Jesus Christ. And so I just want to encourage you today, if you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, I just want you to say simply to him, Lord, I hear you. I give you my life. Lord, I hear you. I give you my life. And if you've given him your life and you are disappointed in him, can I also say to you today, Lord, I give you my life. I don't see what you see, but I trust you. I don't understand, but I trust you. I believe. My circumstances haven't changed, so I'm not waiting for them to change, but I'm going to say before my circumstances change, I do believe that you love me. I do believe that you're calling me out. And I do believe I'm better moving towards a stoning with you than I am running away from it thinking I'm avoiding it. I'm better with you, Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us on the Gallery Church Podcast. I want you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your mind and heart. Let Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, do the deep work that only He can do. I want to say thank you to everyone who gives to the church. Your gifts make this podcast and ministry possible here in Baltimore and other parts of the world. You can be a part of our work by going to gallerychurchbaltimore.com give or by downloading the church app from the app store. You can also subscribe and share these podcasts with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening or watching, and may God's grace and peace be with you.